Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 3. And for our visitors, we're going through a study in James. So um, we've already gone through uh, um, the verses in chapter 1 and 2, and now we're in chapter 3. Last time we discussed the end of chapter 2. Let's review that just so we can remember. 14 through 26 were the verses we looked at. Works of mercy was the context. And ministering to the poor. Remember James had said, don't make distinctions. If somebody rich comes into the church and you give them a really nice spot and treat them really special... And somebody comes in who's kind of poor and shabby and you just kind of don't really care too much about them and just stick them somewhere, anywhere. That's sinful, James says. The Lord doesn't do that. He looks at the heart. Don't make distinctions that way. And then there was a discussion of taking care of poor people. And this is... James's point, we hear this all the time, and we use it in multiple contexts, I think rightly, when we say be doers of the word and not mere hearers only. But the context of that is being merciful toward poor people. Don't, don't be hearers only and say, yeah, yeah, it's good, we should take care of poor people. But then you don't. That's a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. And then that brings up the discussion of faith without works. And James says, is faith in the word without doing the word real faith? If you say, oh, I love the word. I love those words. I love to hear them. But you don't put them into practice. Is that real faith? James Answers a couple or asks a couple questions, and the answer is implied in both cases. What good is that faith? He says, "Is faith in the word without doing the word real faith?" And the answer is no. What good is it? None. It's not good. Can that faith save him? James says. Also, the answer is implied. No, it can't. It's not good. What good is faith separated from works and obedience? And the answer is obvious. What good is it? What benefit is it? There's no benefit. That person is deceived and they're not saved. And they will perish, is James's point. True faith is able to be seen. In case you recoil inside, let me remind you, Jesus said, you can tell a tree by its fruit. You want to know what kind of tree it is? Look at it. And you'll see. 
His point was not that whoever the righteous, it's mysterious. We're not sure exactly who they are. No. Jesus said you can tell by looking at it. You can tell, look at it, and you'll be able to know. And that, that is James's point. Real faith will be evidenced by obedience. Faith that is separated from obedience and good works, that's bogus faith. It's not real. It's bogus. It's dead faith. And what good is dead faith to the professor of that faith? No good. It's not good. And he anticipates this discussion of someone arguing, well, that's the way your faith is. I can just have faith. You can have works. Fine. And James is like, no, you can't separate these things. I'll show you my faith by my works. When you see that I'm obeying God, you'll know that I have faith. My obedience to God is not what's making me right. It's evidence that God is saving me. It's evidence that the faith I have in him is real. And he says, do you believe God is one? Right, everyone in Israel would profess such a thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. He says, demons believe that too. They know it to be true. But they shudder. Somebody said in the commentary that maybe the reason they're shuddering is because they know what's coming to them. Demons believe that too. The wicked leadership in Jerusalem who um, planned this whole murder of Jesus, from their part anyway, they would have said we believe God is one. But if you try to separate faith from works, that's not real faith. That's not real faith. And he sums it up at the end of the chapter. No human life in the body. There is no human life in the body without the spirit. Right? A person, we would say, is body and spirit. They can't, if they're separated, something has happened. The person is dead. Without one of those two things, you're not a person. And I think the same, according to James, the same thing is true of true faith. It's always together with obedience and doing. Right? This is very simple to understand. The reason why we wonder about it sometimes is because there's so much disobedience. There's so much disobedience and we say... Are none of the people in church saved? There's so much disobedience everywhere. This must not be completely true. You must be able to be saved even though you don't obey. Don't let that be the standard, brothers and sisters. Let the word of God speak. Let the word speak. True faith is together with obedience and doing. If you say, I serve the Most High God, you do? Oh, what, are your t- what are your chores every day? You're like, oh, I don't do anything. 
In fact, the things he tells me to do, I don't do. Like, you're a bad servant. Can you imagine such a servant? If you were employing them, it wouldn't be for long. Weed that flower bed, you come back, flower bed's not weeded. This is very simple to understand. If we are bond servants of the Lord God Almighty, we should obey him. And we have the power within us by his Holy Spirit that he's put in us to remind us and comfort us, empower us. But don't grieve the spirit that's within you. So if we're going to sum it up, faith needs doing. And doing needs faith. It does. And by God's gift of grace, we'll have what we need. Well, let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James returns to a subject that we've already discussed. But he goes into it in more detail. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's not a great place to stop here, but we'll stop there for now. I mean, he's not holding back, is he? The tongue is a huge problem. And we don't mean the part of the tongue that tastes food and decides whether it's delicious or not. Or drinks and whether you want to have another one or not. Or a brand of coffee and say, oh, I don't like that coffee. I want a different one. This is referring to words, speech that comes out of our mouths. He returns to this topic. In chapter 1, he said, if anyone thinks he's religious 
Listen, this is the word of God. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. He's like, do you run your mouth? Because if you do, your religion is not working. You need to bridle your tongue. Control it. This is a very common theme in the Word of God. I don't think we, we probably don't focus on it enough, but it is referred to in the Scriptures again and again and again and again. Sin and problems that result from somebody running their mouth. Listen to the words of Jesus. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. I referred to this earlier. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, we could talk about and have a serious discussion about justification and whether or not clean speech can justify us, and I don't think that's the point. It's a very serious matter. Jesus said, how can you speak good? I know you're evil on the inside, and this is the way it happens. Whatever's on the inside comes out. Remember this? Jesus said, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of it that defiles a person. And he goes on later in that same chapter. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. To eat, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So much talk about words and heart conditions. And when an evil heart is on the inside, guess what happens? Well, lots of bad stuff. But in that list, there's two that refer to speech. False witness, basically lying, and slander. If you want to be a teacher, James says in chapter 3, verse 1, are you able to control your speech? Both theologically, I think, and with your fellow man or woman. Um, Some people think this whole section is directed towards teachers. I, I don't think so. He's saying, if you want to be a teacher. He's not saying, teachers, you need to watch your mouth. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to be one, You need to be careful because this is a problem for everyone. And if you're a teacher, you're going to be held to a stricter standard. 
you need to control your speech, both theologically and personally with people. Verses 3 and 4, this is very easy to understand. Big things can be controlled by small things. You could drive an 18-wheeler down the freeway, right? That is a massive vehicle. And you can stop it by pressing this little pad with your foot. It's very small, but it can control something that weighs so much and can cause so much damage. Well, he says the same thing. Horses, we can't control them, but we put a bit in their mouth, and now we can. We pull on the reins. The horse does not like it, and we'll obey what we want. The ship, think about those ships. Those are massive. Just the weight of the wood in those ships alone, much less all the cargo on it and rough seas and winds. And they can still direct it with a small rudder. Big things can be controlled by small things. He says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A well-controlled tongue would show a, a, a good faith. But the opposite would be true too also. The tongue causes lots of problems. Even though it's small, even a giant fire, he says, is started by a tiny little spark. Well, what about a tiny little word? We talked about this before, but James is talking about it again, so we need to talk about it again. The tongue and speech, and especially evil speech, causes lots of hurt. It's boastful, prideful, arrogant. I mean, if we, if we did an extensive word study on this, there are so many verses about this. Listen to this, Proverbs 18. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Turn over to Psalm 12. Psalm 12, listen to the way the psalmist David talks about the wicked. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? 
Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he belongs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. David says, oh Lord, we need your help big time. Everyone's lying to everyone all the time. There's flattery and double heart speak everywhere, boasting. Last week, Brother Edward preached to us from Psalm 73. If you look at verse 8 and 9 there, right, this, that was a psalm of um, Asaph. And if you remember, he said, he's talking that, he said, I almost slipped, I almost stumbled because I was watching the wicked and it seemed like it would be better to be counted with them than to be counted with you. And I almost was tricked by it. He's like, they don't seem to have any problems. They're like sleek and fat and they've got all kind of food stored up and money and they're doing great. In verse 8, he talks about how they speak, though. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. This is an interesting image the tongue of the wicked strutting through the earth. It's very interesting. Okay, let's go back to James. Verses 7, verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. If we think about it, this is not James's point, but God gave dominion to man over the earth. If you've ever been to the circus, you know that man has dominion over beasts that seem like we couldn't be able to control. How can we make an elephant do what we want? Because God has blessed us and given us dominion. Right? Quote, God blessed them and said, be fruitful. And multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is James's point. We can tame anything. We have been given dominion. We can tame anything, but not the tongue. It's impossible to tame Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Can you imagine if you, if you got some sort of animal that is, you know, very hard to tame or close to impossible? I mean, we can subdue them, right? We can capture them. We can put them in a cage, but we can't make them a pet. They, they don't 
They're feral, right? They're going to attack. They're going to bite. They're going to poison. Something is going to happen. He says the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Careful. Careful. And let's think about this. When we talk about our speech being sinful, what are we ta- what kind of speech are we talking about? Like obviously lying, slander, demeaning, critical. I'm not talking about constructive criticism. I'm talking about an evil, critical heart that just looks for the bad to criticize, to tear down instead of building up. Disrespectful words, prideful, arrogant, harsh, mean, impatient words. Hurry up! Come on! It seems sort of harmless and kind of immature like what children do, but it's really not. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It wants to kill you. It wants to control your whole body, even though it's a small thing, and take you down to hell. Verses 9 and 10. He's talking about how evil this tongue is and how how much of a problem it is. And he says, oh, the hypocrisy of it. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing praise to Him. We pray. We extol His virtues to others. And with it, we curse people who are made in His likeness. The hypocrisy of it, James said. This is terrible. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He said, this is not fitting. Let's be doers of the word. If we're going to be doers of the word, and the word teaches everywhere that the tongue is a big problem, and we need to be very careful, why do you think the scripture says in a multitude of words there is sin? You know why? Because we run our mouths too much. If you want to sin less, talk less. I mean, this is the raw facts. The more you talk, the more likely you're going to sin with your mouth. Be quick to listen, the scripture says. Slow to speak. Shouldn't be this way, brothers. And James is not being unrealistic here, right? No one can tame the tongue completely. No one can tame it completely. Right at the beginning, James is talking like black and white, but he he knows the the facts. He knows that what he's preaching is true about him also. In verse two, he says, "We all stumble in many ways." Right, James is conceding the point. Christians are not perfect yet. We're trying. God's working in us. We are being sanctified, but we're not there yet. We're still stumbling. He says, we all stumble in many ways. 
But the tongue is a huge problem. If anyone can stay clean with their tongue, that person is a perfect man. I don't think he's suggesting that perfection is possible. He's saying the tongue is such a problem. If there were someone who could tame it, they must be a perfect person because no one can tame it. These things ought not to be so, brothers. And he ends the section just saying, we shouldn't be double-tongued. Springs don't have salt water and fresh water. They pick one or the other. You know, and springs in that region are very important, right? Villages would spring up around wherever there would be a spring. No pun intended. You know, and his point is just, To think about these things and to have both of them at the same time is ridiculous. A fig tree is not going to have olives on it. It's a fig tree. It's not an olive tree. Are you going to have both bitterness and cursing and praise in the same mouth? That shouldn't be that way. These things should not be so. No one can tame the tongue completely. And you won't be able to. And even if you hear this message right now and purpose in your heart, I'm going to be more careful. I'm going to really try hard. You're still going to stumble in this area. Definitely. But by God's power and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can obey God, can't we? Isn't the fruit of the Spirit self-control? And don't we have the fruit of the Spirit as real Christians? Born again believers? And if you can't control your mouth, why not? What's going on inside your heart that's making you so mad, so impatient, so mean, so critical? What's going on inside that's making you want to lie and slander people? Remember the words of Jesus. From the heart is where all this comes from. He's speaking to the wicked hypocrites and saying, how can you speak good? It's impossible. Your heart is evil and what's going to come out is going to match it. It's going to be evil too. And so brothers and sisters, is your speech, is your heart smiting you right now? Is God smiting you? If your speech is this way, I hope he will. And let me say a word about this too, even though I think it's way better. Don't say it in your mind either. It's definitely way better if you're saying it in your mind to don't say it out loud. Definitely way better. Highly recommended. But Christianity is not merely the outside, right? Jesus made this point very clear. Didn't he? Say, oh, oh. Okay, great, you're not a murderer, but in your heart, you want to murder him, and that's basically the same thing. He, he's making, if anything, Jesus raises the standard. Well, not if anything. He definitely raises the standard. Not just don't hit your neighbor with a shovel. Don't want to hit your neighbor with a shovel. Right? I mean... Don't lie and bear false witness, but don't even want to. 
Don't curse and criticize, but don't even want to. Most of the problems that have to do with speech have to do with pride and arrogance. And it's sad. And we, we, I think we don't even realize how bad of a problem it is. We might think we're not very prideful. Well, then how come people bother you so much and get you riled up? What do you think you deserve that you're not getting? Maybe you need to humble yourself. God is able to humiliate you if he needs to. But better if you humble yourselves. Well, that was very... um, It's intense. It's very intense. I mean, if we, if we read that again, the tongue is a small member, verse 5, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. What small fire? The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He, could he speak more strongly than this? I don't know how he would speak more strongly. Guard your mouths. There's, a, there's another psalm that talks about that. Where he says, I'll put a muzzle on my mouth to make sure I don't run my mouth or say something wrong. Let's take this very seriously, brothers and sisters. One reason why we've been at peace for a long time in this church, God's been merciful to us. And people aren't running their mouths and talking about other members behind their backs. And guess what? When that doesn't happen, when sparks don't fly, there's no fire. Pray to God that we, this will continue to happen. It's not normal that a church will stay at peace for a long time with no problems with this. If you do have something against somebody in here because of something that was said, forgive them. And if you've offended somebody, please go to them and reconcile. Let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we confess that You are right and we are wrong. And we want to be doers of the word. Would you help us to speak words and use um, our communication in ways that will lift up, in ways that will honor you and um, encourage our brothers and sisters. Father, that would commend the gospel to our neighbors and friends. Father, we confess that we have stumbled in this area and we pray that you'd be merciful to us. Forgive us and help us guard our mouths in the future. Help us, Lord. Theologically, yes, we we want to speak truthfully, but in interpersonal relationships, in work relationships, family relationships, oh Lord, protect us from starting fires. And we pray that you'd protect us in the church too, that we wouldn't 
be springs that have salt and fresh water, but Lord, that we would, um, by the by the fruit of the spirit of self-control, Lord, that we would use our speech in ways that are fitting for the gospel. We pray that you'd be with us the rest of our time today as we have lunch together and fellowship. Bless us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.